Assalamu alaikum. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you listen to this. This is Tez Elias here to plug my brand new TV show, The Tez O'Clock Show, starting on the 25th of July. That's a Thursday at 11 pm. 11 pm, Thursdays, The Tez O'Clock Show. Get it watched, laugh, share it. Jazakallah. And, and the audiences that come out to watch stand up on a Friday, Saturday night in this country, bro, they want to hear some real stuff. And, real and, stuff, bro. They want they want to they, they want to hear all sorts of stuff, bro. But like I have a joke about um, when the ISIS terrorist attack happened, and, and I have this, and, and I replay this conversation I'm having with my friends on the circuit, and we're going, oh, you know, we do live stand up, and what if they came to our shows? And I'm there going, oh, you know what? If that happened and I was on stage, I would have just pretend I was with them, innit? And bro, audiences love that. They love it so much because because it's a, one is a ridiculous thing to say, and B, but they're like, that makes sense for him. If he wants to stay alive, that would kind of be a good could that'd be a good idea. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host Salim Qasim, and I'm joined actually once again by my co-host Hassan. Assalamu alaikum. Hassan, how was your holiday? It was uh, fabulous. We should, we should probably state for the listeners that you, the last time you were on a podcast, yes, I was introducing you as my co-host and I was really excited to have someone join me. And, and then, then I went rogue and... Uh... And then you went rogue and, and, <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't hear from you or see you for about six weeks. It's good to have you back though. Thank you for having me once again. I'm glad that uh, I made the cut. <laughs> you're really, you're, you're, the cut is there. You're just you're not there. Um, all right, so let, let's get on with this week's podcast. Uh, we are talking to Tez Ilias. We are indeed. Is that one of the reasons why you came back? <laughs> you, I'm I'm a fan of you're, uh, you're Tez a, Ilias. You're a fan of Tez, and so you thought yes. you jump back in. Yes. Um, so what are we going to talk to Tez about? Well, um, I first came across him watching the series Man Like Mobin. Yes. Um, but I did come across some of his his videos earlier on and uh i think he's he's one to watch i think he's had think a lot he, of success I, no i think he was one to watch now he is one that people are watching yeah but definitely i think in in the the mainstream stage in terms of globally yeah um and yeah man just just some really really good good stuff he's been producing and we're going to be speaking speaking to him about uh everything really I yeah guess. and he's got a very very exciting project um at a very very prestigious you know, uh, platform which is which is technically going to be out tomorrow. Exactly at the time of listening. So yes, so Thursday, every Thursday at eleven p.m. Yeah, on Channel Four, the Tesla Clock Show. Exactly. Um. So yeah, we're, we're going to speak to him about that, how that whole gig came to be. Yes. Um. Also, man like Mobin. Exactly. Um. Diving in a little bit into eight, the character that he plays, For as sure. well as just and how- and how he came to to be a comedian. On the, on the mainstream yeah, run, yeah. but I think also what's interesting for me and not, and being authentic at the same time. That's it. I was just that what's really interesting for me about Tez and and Guz as well to an extent is that the authenticity that they bring is what's really refreshing. One hundred percent. They haven't they haven't felt the need to kind of um, sell out in any way. Yeah. Um, and they've just kept it very very real. Um, and I think that shows even in terms of like the conversation that we're we're gonna have with him. Yes. Um, he's a very real guy. Exactly. Um, which is awesome and very refreshing. Very, very commendable. So I think, yeah, that, that probably doesn't need much more to say. Um, here's our conversation with Tez. 
so salam alaikum Tez. Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me guys. Uh, I, I don't know where to start because there's a lot that we want to talk about. Mm. There's a lot that you've done in the last few years. Um, in fact, let's start with very recent. Okay. So on. the summer. Yeah. I've seen you, um, you were involved with the Men's Losing My Religion conference yeah. and at the Palestine Expo as well. Yeah. I think to start off with, tell us a bit more about those and what you were doing there, what you were talking about. So the Losing My Religion conference was organized by Mend, who are a British Muslim charity think tank. So they were kind of in the um, Islamophobic, Islamophobia space. I think they're a not-for-profit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, they, and, and they're kind of raising awareness about Islamophobia and anti-Muslim bigotry and actually trying to combat it yeah. both through civic uh, stuff and also trying to influence legislation and police and councils and that sort of thing. And I heard a talk from their uh, CEO a few weeks ago and I was really impressed. So when they asked me to, uh, to, to speak at the conference, I was delighted to. Um, and they'd heard a TED talk of mine that I'd done yes. uh, 18 months ago. A very uh, good one. Thank you, I appreciate right. that. Um, so I kind of just replicated that and updated it a little bit with, with things that happened in the... But more uh, Islamophobia has taken place since then, right? Yeah, unfortunately. It hasn't <laughs> stood, like I thought my TED talk would solve everything, but unfortunately it didn't. Um, <laughs> so more things did happen since, since then. So I kind of updated it with a, more, with a few more references. But yeah, I kind of just replicated that and, and people really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, so it was really... And it was amazing. Linda Sossol was there from America. She's an amazing, amazing person and such an incredible speaker and very yeah. inspiring. Uh, and yeah, there's just connected with a lot of other Loki activists. Loki was on the lineup as well, right? Alhamdulillah, Loki was there as well. Um, yeah, so just connected with a lot of uh, Muslim activists and, and 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 ulama who who had who had um, you know motivational thing motivational things to say to people. And yeah, it was good, man. I really enjoyed it. Alhamdulillah, that's good. And and the, the second one was the Palestine Expo. Yeah, so Palestine Expo was a couple of weekends ago. Yeah, so we, 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 we met there for yeah. like five minutes. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Were, you were meeting and greeting fans and all sorts. Well, that's not what I was there for, yeah. Don't act like I just came in and be like, "Where my fans?" No, no, they came looking for you. It's fine. So it was, it was, it was, it was nice, man. Alhamdulillah, it was nice. But yeah, that that event was again, you know, the Palestinian cause is is close to all our hearts uh, in 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 the, in the Muslim community. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so again, when they asked me, it was a real honor. It's quite surreal to be asked. Uh, so again, yeah, I wanted to. And I, I think I also want to say fair play to you for actually turning up and doing these kinds of things 100%. because. What we were talking about before I was talking to Sam about is that when you see people within the mainstream media, especially Muslims, mm. and your kind of career path is obviously comedy, which mm. is quite a broad field, it can be easy for people to kind of almost, I don't want to say forget their roots, but like that's kind of secondary to everything else. Whereas, play a safe game, I think. Yeah, play it safe to an extent, because obviously it's going to ruffle feathers if you're turning up to the Palestine Expo. And I mean, the back of your phone's got a boycott, what does it say, boycott? Israeli something apartheid. apartheid. I mean, that's that's bold in itself. And you've been doing. You've <laughs> just showed me his wrist. He's got a wristband on. You've been doing interviews all day today with mm. like the Guardian and everyone else. Yes, yeah, wearing this. And you and you're rocking up like this. And I, I think Palestine. I, I I rate that. But bro, like listen, based like working class kids in it from well me speaking on behalf like personally, I'm a working class kid from Blackburn. Like if you don't talk about the things you're interested in, then who are you in it? Like, like I say to girls all the time, like, right, if they're sectors from this, I mean, they can't really, we're kind of self-employed, but if they're sectors, <laughs> then we just go back to stacking shelves at us, don't it? Like, so that's, where we, <laughs> that's where we came from, innit? So, 
Yeah, man, it is what it is. I don't ha- know. Has anyone ever had the conversation or you know noticed? Nah, bro, there's, no, there's no big conspiracy. There's no like... There's <laughs> don't no... tell me the Illuminati doesn't exist. Well, it might do. They haven't, I'm not big enough for them to come knocking on my door and give me yes. threats. But, you know, there are, there, are, there are things that you think... I mean, you have to also exercise judgment and common sense. Yeah. Like if, if, if at the Palestinian Expo, if in their tweets and stuff, they were saying things that I thought were not right and stuff or anything that I disagreed with, then I think twice about going there because I'm like Raw, these guys are not kind of doing this in the right way or they're yeah, very divisive yeah, yeah. in the way they're doing things or even you know a label that is attached to some people like anti-semitic if I saw some of that I'd be like okay this is a group that I don't want to be associated with but I, I haven't seen that and I haven't heard that so so why would I not then um, lend my voice uh, while I can exactly you know to the Illuminati come knocking and warn and, and me off that's crazy well, um, you mentioned earlier the TED talk that you you mm. done, which I'll be honest with you was amazing, right? Thanks, bro. Um, especially the way you you towards the end, um, kind of uh, mentioned mentioned a few things um, in regards to the issue of integration, and you know, like you mentioned, uh, there's two kind of right wing narratives. Um, just a little bit of a serious note off the end of that. Mm. Um, what do you think in terms of maybe like a a, a a ma- your master plan of a solution for the Muslim community? It's a big question. Big question. The problem is, is the Muslim community is fighting each other as much as it is get being 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 attacked by other people as well. So there's 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 that in itself first that we're not a united community in it. Like we're not a united front. So how can we tackle these issues as a community? But as someone I think who's who's very much established in the mainstream mm. but still has very um a big voice from the Muslim community. Um, for other people that may be in in the same position in terms of trying to you know establish themselves in the in the mainstream community and also speaking to their own community, um, what do you think maybe that you've done or maybe uh, words of words of uh, wisdom for people that are trying to follow in your footsteps? So I can talk about myself. So what I did is I went I left home. I went to university at eighteen. Uh, the university happened to go to Lancaster University, big up, best place in the country. Um, was it was just full of middle-class white people, and at that time, you know, there was no social media, so I wasn't the walk person that I am today. I didn't care about class and all those sorts of things. I was just making friends with people that I got on with in it. So I didn't think to myself, oh, well, this person's a middle-class person, and middle-class means this and that. So I was just kind of going into the world and meeting new people and having new experiences, keeping it as halal as I could. Um, and, and, and just enjoying myself and, and, and having conversations with people that I didn't grow up with and, yeah. and, exp- and, 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 and expanding my mind into, into other ways of thinking. Uh, and it's not about assimilation or becoming like those people, but it's about empathy and even with things that you don't agree with or viewpoints that you, you don't agree with or experiences that you don't necessarily want to partake in yourself, but actually being around that or seeing it or hearing about it it actually broadens your horizons. So when I am able to talk about experiences that I care about, I know that the people who I want to reach, I know them because I lived among them. Mm. Um, I studied with them, I partied with them, I, you know, I, in some instances, dated them. So I, I, I think, I think, I think, I think that's really important. To we live in a country that is very diverse. I mean, our own community is massively diverse, but outside our community, the country is so diverse, and getting to know people is probably the most single important thing. It's important from conversely for people to combat Islamophobia will say, well, do you know any Muslims? Because people who know Muslims tend to be the least Islamophobic people in society. Yeah. Or at least, I mean, they might not like a religion necessarily, but but they're very, very, they, but they, 
their language is a lot more considered when they're critiquing the religion compared to people who don't know any Muslims and, and, and the way they make their statements. So I think it, it, it works the other way around as well. The more people you get to know from outside of your own community or your own social circles, I think the more tolerant that you will be or the more understanding you will be about other people. You mentioned something very interesting just now um, about social media and being woke and, and how you grew up you it's know, a term that I don't like, by the way. But no, I, I know. It's a term, I, that, people, it's a term I, that people use. I use it very begrudgingly as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some people are so woke, they've got insomnia in it. That's the problem. <laughs> this is woke 24-7. No, Literally. It's too much. So do you feel like the experience that you had um, was, was obviously, and, and I think we had all similar, because I, I don't want to start doing the age game, but probably similar-ish age. I'm a bit Ish. young. I'm a little bit younger. Of course. I look older. Yeah, yeah, but you're more handsome and younger than I am. That's being generous. Um, you, 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 yeah, you've got Chum. a good future in media. I like this. Um, <laughs> no, so do you feel like there's almost like a, a necessity now because of social media, because everything you do is scrutinized to such a level that you almost have to be woke? Does that make sense? And I, yeah, I, get, I use yeah, the term yeah, begrudging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of... There's a lot of pressure to make sure that everything that you do has to say yeah um doesn't is not is not open to be interpreted in other words like even now when i when i when i talk i'm very very considered in the way that i say things i I tend to be a lot in public spaces yeah private is different in public spaces i tend to be a lot less flippant in the way that i describe things i might use caveats a lot more than i might have done previously uh, because people will be like, well, what about this? I'm like, yeah, yeah. so a caveat is like, well, I'm not talking about this specific thing, you know, um, in a way that is sometimes, sometimes useful, but other times it's kind of like, just let me, people make the points and, and, you think and, and the, not interpret the worst. There's a filter now, as you say, there's like a filter we have to self-impose. Like if we're talking on social media even, like, again, I think everyone has this standard nightmare. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but you see, the the memories on Facebook mm. and it shows mm. you stuff from 10 years mm. ago 15 years mm. ago and you think oh my god mm. I used to type like that yeah, I used yeah, to say yeah, these yeah, things yeah, yeah, and you yeah, might have similar yeah, views yeah. but this is just so raw and unfiltered and unrefined and even unnuanced like you know you develop nuance you learn and you, you of course. understand and you can change your mind people grow yeah. so, but, but like you said you don't have to necessarily change your entire philosophical position yeah. but you can have a much much more nuanced position on certain subjects that For are sure, a lot more yeah. mature than you would have done maybe 10 years ago um, and, and you see it And some people get pulled up For the tweets And they were teenagers And you're like Well yeah Teenagers Teenagers say things They don't even believe in Because they want to be provocative Yeah um, and, and, and so there should There should be There should be more forgiveness For people's um, Stupid opinions And stupid tweets from, from, from literally A decade ago The best story I have About being a teenager Is my business partner Hasib yeah. Co-founder of the Muslim Vibe Right He hated me we, met, we knew each other at this age. Yeah. He thought I was, uh, I don't know if I can say these words, but he didn't like me. Okay. All right. Next thing you know, we've been business partners for the last like seven years. Yeah, but that was an overnight though, wasn't it? No, but what I mean is, <laughs> what I mean is like, as, well, you, there's a growth there. There's a growth and a yeah, development. Yeah, yeah. He saw the light as to how amazing a human being I was. Right. And the, the time, right. you shone out. And he was closed minded enough not to be able to understand. I love this because he can't say anything. He's just sat there grinning. We're recording oh, amazing, in the office. Amazing poker face. He's got a good poker face. <laughs> um, I'm glad I managed to get that in there. This is This has been brilliant. Uh, we can end the podcast now. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. I'm, I'm done my plug. <laughs> um, all right, I want to. I want to now come back to uh, the beginning of the journey. We're, we're going to jump around a little bit That's because fine, there's, there's so many different things, and I want to kind of touch on each one. 
how you got into comedy mm. because I know beforehand I heard you I can't remember where this was but you were talking about how you previously worked in the civil service um, and you mentioned that you left around the time that the Tory government came in uh, not exactly no okay so I've worked for the Tory government for, for a while you worked for the Tory government but I worked, yeah I worked in the civil service which okay. was obviously led by Tory government for six years Oh wow! So so much so I so I left uni at twenty two, um, messed around for a year doing various bits and bobs, applying for graduate programs. Then I got into one of the most prestigious graduate programs in the country, which is the Fast Stream, the Civil Services Graduate Program. Um, so I came to London in two thousand and seven to start that job. They put me in the Home Office, um, and the graduate service is one of those things where you jump around doing different jobs and stuff. Uh, and then after a year in London, I went back up north. Did two years up north working in the civil service in, in the home office in Liverpool. Um, and then I came back to London at the beginning of 2010. And I was like, raw, I need a hobby in it because I don't have family in London. <laughs> I've got a few friends, but it's not like in the in the sitcoms where everyone lives in the same place. Everyone's scattered all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a city of 8 million people, you don't get half lonely in it. So I was like, man, I need a hobby. So I started looking for writing workshops, like some creative writing or something, just something to, like a, like a hobby, like a hobby to pick up in the evenings. And I came across a stand-up workshop. And I thought, my friends tell me I'm funny and I'm del- deluded enough to believe them in it. So I was like, you know, worst case scenario, I'll make a fool of myself, but I'll make new friends. I can live with both those things. So I started going on this thing. It was one day a week for six weeks. And it didn't, it didn't teach you to be funny, but it gives you the mechanics of stand-up and it gives you some tips and stuff. And, and, and at, the, at the end of it, you prepare like a, you know, a five-minute bit that at the end, they have a showcase where everyone on the course invites their family and friends and you do your bit in front of them. And people laughed in the right place, man. It was amazing. And then... I found out there's an open mic circuit in London, this entire subculture, this thriving subculture that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. So I ended up just threw myself into that. And like very, very quickly, three, four nights a week, I was gigging on the open mic circuit. No money, just doing five, 10 minutes of material, trying to write as much as I can and trying to make a name for myself at that very, very b- bottom rung of the ladder. And at that point, um, the material you were, you know, exploring, was that um, a lot of, the same stuff that you do now or did it develop no, to it, very it, different topics? It developed, but it developed, developed quite quickly. But at the beginning, it was just trying to like take everyday subjects and trying to make them funny. Like, you know, stuff, how people write on Facebook and things like that. And then and then I wrote one or two jokes about more like uh, my own perspective and, and what being Muslim might mean in Britain and those sorts of things. And, th- and, I, and I quickly realized those were the things that people were laughing with the most. So I thought, right, let me explore that aspect of my writing a lot more because actually in this space, I have that uniqueness that no one else can bring. When you say they were laughing at it, in with, what, with it? Yeah. But in what, yeah, but in what <laughs> way? Very, 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 very subtle difference. A very, very important difference. There is. No, this is what I was coming to in that like, assuming that a, a, a comedy night audience is not necessarily Muslim. No, I, they, they, I mean, 99, 99% of my gigs are mainstream gigs. So when they were and laughing... by mainstream, I mean white. Yeah, of course. I mean, mainstream is always white, yeah. let's be honest. That's, <laughs> we don't, it's, it's an unspoken... It's, it's your hand. It's unspoken, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's there. The reason I'm asking is because um, on your Instagram feed, there's an, an interesting clip from Mock the Week. Yes. Um, where you talk about... Um, well, obviously, I'm going to butcher the delivery of the joke, but it's about how there's... Yeah, no. Gavin, Gavin Williamson, the defence secretary. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's face-palming himself. And uh, you make the joke that oh, Theresa May just told him that there's no more brown people to kill in, in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, and the, the audience groans at that. And I found that very interesting. And then Daryl O'Brien's comment was even more interesting, where he said, if I had told the joke, you guys would have been laughing. But now he's telling it, because it's a bit more real. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, why yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to figure out what the... 
how um, people respond to your comedy. So what you find is when you go on the circuit, on the mainstream comedy circuit, especially Friday Saturday nights, everyone's too drunk. Bro, it's sick. It's sick, isn't it? You tell the hardest jokes and people will laugh. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Because because it's TV is more sanitized. Yeah. Um. And, and people are a lot more careful in what they say on TV and, and mock the week. As edgy as it is, it's not the Frankie Boyle days anymore. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit, it's not the safest show on TV, but it's not like the comedy store on a Friday night either. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the audiences that come out to watch stand up on a Friday, Saturday night in this country, bro, they want to hear some real stuff. And, real and, stuff. Bro, they, they want to they, they hear all sorts of stuff, bro. Like I have a joke about um, when the ISIS terrorist attack happened. And, and I have this, and, and I replay this conversation I'm having with my friends on the circuit, and we're going, oh, you know, we do live stand up, and what if they came to our shows? And I'm there going, oh, you know what? If that happened and I was on stage, I would have just pretend I was with them, innit? And bro, audiences love that. They love it so much because, because it's a, one, it's a ridiculous thing to say, and B, when they're like, that makes sense for him. If he wants to stay alive, that would kind of be a good, good that'd be a good idea. It would work. It would work. So yeah, man. So and I try and push that as much as possible because the because the comedians that inspired me have been people like Frankie Boyle and, and Stuart Lee, um, and and uh, in terms of writers, I'm wondering Ian Nietzsche and Chris Morris who wrote Four Lines and um, and, and, and and Over the Pond. You got Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, and and Trey Parker, and Matt Stone who who makes South Park, Sarah Silverman, all these people who push the boundaries uh, of, of of taste. Yeah. As well as as well as humor. There's actually something I, I listened to a podcast a while back, um, Russell Brand's podcast. Yeah. And Frankie Boyle was on it. Okay. And they were having a fascinating conversation about how they self censor to ensure that they get these BBC gigs because although it's like as you say, Mock, Mock the Week is an edgy show, but there are boundaries. It's edgy to a are, point. It's edgy to a point, right? And I found that fascinating because we see comedians often as almost like bastions of free speech, especially the likes of Frankie Boyle, who are just unfiltered and uncensored but he was sat there with Russell Brand who's also had a very controversial past and both of them were saying that they have to self-censor to make sure they're getting certain you, bits but you, where but do you, they but want you, those but you, bits but you, but you have to like for example I do I increasingly <laughs> now do a lot more gigs on what we call the Muslim circuit yeah. um, both uh, corporate gigs charity gigs Muslim comedy nights specifically and I censor myself when I go on those gigs. If you see me on a Friday night at the comedy store, I bring a different energy to what I will bring at LMRC or Pal Expo. Because because the, the audience is different. Often at these gigs, there might be kids there mm. or there are conservative uncles and aunties who don't want to necessarily hear a brother swear or they won't be able to take it, they won't accept it. Um, or there might be even some material that... I don't really do blue material, but there'll be things that are borderline that they that they don't want to hear. Mm. And I understand that. But if I want those gigs, I play by their rules. Same with the BBC. You know, the BBC's... I think the BBC is an amazing institution. I know it gets a lot of criticism and some of it is very justified, especially their news editorial, editorial stances uh, over the last couple of years. But it is still, nevertheless, an amazing institution that has made some of the best programmes I've ever been made in the world. Um, but if you want in you have to play by their rules because the BBC is also massively scrutinised. It has the public serve. We all play into it and therefore everyone wants to make sure that's representative of them. And if everyone wants to make sure they're representative of everyone, it's going to annoy a lot of people because they can't, because that's impossible. So they have an impossible task sometimes. So, so, so I understand it. It is sometimes frustrating when they say, please don't say that or please do say it or please, maybe you could phrase it like this. And you're thinking, well, if I phrase it like that, it kind of takes the edge of it, which is mm. the whole point of the thing. It's frustrating, but at the same time, understandable because 
they've got they've, they've got an almost impossible job. Yeah. So whereas other pay channels that we're not paying for, like Channel Four, for example, is a bit freer. Um, so the show that I'm making now, there's a lot of things that we're saying in that that maybe the BBC wouldn't necessarily let us say, or they'd want us to say in a slightly softer way. So where where do you draw the line? Where where? So for me, I think I I draw the line at this. So in terms of bigoted material, or material that could be considered as bigoted. So whether you're talking about someone's race, um, gender, uh, sexual orientation, uh, gender orientation, all of those things. I think if you've written a joke about that touches on those subjects, if you are comfortable making that joke in a room of those people, knock yourself out. But if you were to make a joke, say you were making, say I wanted to make a joke about gypsies, which I wouldn't, but say I wanted to make a joke about gypsies, which people in the circuit do, if I would censor that joke out of my set because there were gypsies in the room, then you don't have any right to do that material at any time. And this is the problem that the guys in the 70s had, the Bernard Mannings, for example, because those guys were technically very, very good comedians, but they were doing jokes about people Who exclusively there. that weren't there. Yeah. So if you want to joke about black people, brown people, Muslims, Chinese, whatever, if you were willing to do those jokes in front of those people, then do the joke that you do the joke that you're gonna do because then yeah fine because I know people like Frankie Boyle, the jokes that he makes about certain things he will do that in any room, and the jokes I make at the expense of white people I make them in front of white people. So when I say good evening infidels, it's in a room full of <laughs> infidels. people who are not Muslim. Oh, okay. So uh, or, or infidels, um, so you know people who are Muslim who don't follow the faith, but but they know that it's coming with a certain sense of irony, um, and and a playful irony. Mm. Um, so so that, that's where I draw the line And my personal line is also I will not joke about a person's face Or at least the, f- the mechanics of their face So I think um, I, 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 like, I like joking about What it means to be Muslim In a country that is such as the one that we live in Or the times that we live in But I won't joke about the fundamentals of belief That's, that's the distinction I make Because people often say to me you know, they're like, Oh you'd make jokes about Islam I'm like No I don't you can listen to anything that I say There's no jokes about Islam There's jokes about being Muslim And there's jokes about the Muslim experience But there's no jokes about, about the religion. Islam yeah. And there's no jokes about Christianity Or Buddhism or, or Hinduism But for the other people That is not a line that they want to draw at all And again I would say to those people Make your jokes If you want to make a jokes about things that are in the Quran That's up to you But if you would do Only though If you would do those jokes In front of a Muslim audience Because if you wouldn't do that Then don't do the joke that's, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. 100%. That's pretty, pretty thorough. I like that. But you have to, you have to have obviously developed a, a philosophy behind of it. Of course, like you don't you don't spend this long of doing comedy and just be like, oh, I'll do what I want. Because I believe in I believe in a, I don't believe in the you know, I don't believe in absolute free speech in the way that um, in the way that, for example, Ricky Gervais might. Because I think I think I think people should come with a certain sense of responsibility, and our religion teaches us to be respectful in the way that we talk about things, uh, in a way that sometimes comedy can't be. But but. But I was, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to censor any comedians' art. I'm like, if you want to make jokes about certain subjects that even I hold dear, mm. that are the most sacred to me, then you have the right to do that in this country. But be willing to accept the criticism that comes with it, because your right to free speech will then come with someone else's right to free speech to criticize yeah. you. I think what's interesting about free speech, my philosophy on it, not looking from a comedy lens, obviously, has mm. always been a case of the intention behind it. So if you're, as I see it, if you're criticizing 
or you know, looking at Islam, let's take Islam as the example. If you're going to criticize Islam for the sake of genuine academic critique and pointing flaws in, in Muslims and how they behave and whatever it might be, Fair enough. I have no problem with that. If you're talking about Islam and you're talking about Muslims to cause offense mm. for the sole intention of causing offense, that's problematic. And yeah. I, I feel like, and it's difficult because it's almost like a, a, a moral and it's an internal thing as well because you can say yeah, something and, about and, and, and it's difficult because there will be there will be things that we laugh at or have laughed at yeah. that other people would hold sacred so there is a but again it's about intention and it's yeah, about yeah, education yeah, 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 right yeah, 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 like yeah, racism yeah. for example yeah, yeah, existed yeah. in many forms yeah, yeah, in the yeah, past yeah, yeah. which we've now learned yes. actually this is problematic yes. yeah. bullying for example yeah. has evolved but at the same time we will probably still there are there, there, there are there are friends of ours who will share memes on whatsapp groups or that we might get tagged in something on Instagram or we might see something in our explore Instagram area. There are jokes that you necessarily don't want to laugh at, but that might involuntarily, the instinct is, it's funny. damn, that made me laugh. Yeah. That you think oh, it shouldn't do, but it does. Uh, and so, and so, and so it isn't so black and white, I think, sometimes. But again, my, my, my thing is always, yeah, make the comments you want to make in it, but only if you do that in front of that audience. And then be and prepared. willing to face the yeah, and then be willing willing to face their their um, response. That's a good ethos. Well, I think um, uh, going back to the the steps in your career, I think um, so. By by kind of mid two thousand eighteen, you were opening up for like people like Trevor Noah at the yeah, O2, um, and as a Muslim man trying to make it uh, as a comedian. That was during Ramadan, you know. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Of, I, was fast, I was fasting when I went on stage. Trevor's Muslim, wow. right? No, 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 no. He is. Okay. <laughs> Politically. Like you broke fast with him. Just tell us. Sure. That. Okay. Yeah? Why not? Wicked. Why not? Why not? No, Amazing. but he was traveling, so he wasn't fasting. Of course. Oh, of course. Of course. Makes so sense. You heard it here first. Trevor's a bro. Yeah. I mean, technically, I was fasting. I came down from Blackburn, but you know, hardcore. No. Jamal <laughs> prayers and all of that yeah, together, yeah, you yeah, and Trevor. Yeah, 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 Lovely. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, as a Muslim man in the mainstream circuit, um, what do you think was like the the factors that helped snowball the career for you? Like get get you on on that platform? Where was there was there like a tipping point that you felt that this is really working out? I'm I'm uh, producing material that is really being noticed. Was there any one um, moment? You know, quite early on, I, I I had a couple of like relatively uh, successful uh, moments. Um, so, for example, in my first year of stand up from day one to day 365 i got to the final of four or five new act competitions so these are competitions specifically for comedians who are going between zero, zero and five years um including the bbc new comedy world which is the most prestigious new act competition in the whole country and so that validates what you're doing right that you make you think okay well i've, I've got something here maybe i need to keep exploring this keep mining this and and, and who knows where i can get to so, so i had those things I had people in the circuit telling me that they enjoyed what I do. That was really, really nice. You know, you need your peers to to enjoy what you're doing. Um, and then I was just getting, as each month, as the months, as the years progressed, I was I was getting booked on um, more prestigious lineups and bigger and better gigs, and and I'm breaking slowly into the professional comedy clubs, um, get moving off the open mic circuit. And every year seems I seem to be making progress. And I had the I was doing the Edinburgh Fringe Festival as well, which is the to use them a bit with the Mecca of 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 uh, in 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 the Western you're sense. You're allowed. You're Muslim. You yeah, the Mecca, the Mecca in the Western sense, small M, um, of the of 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 the com of the comedy world uh, is the is the standard convention where people from all over the world uh, come and uh, come and basically show the rest of the world what 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 they've got going on, what they've been working on, uh, and and so I was very much plugged into the mainstream circuit. Did you have your own show at the Fringe? 
so the first couple of years I went, I was sharing an hour. Okay. Because uh, you know I didn't, I didn't have an hour, so so generally slots are an hour long, uh, and generally you you probably not ready to do an hour, probably until between three and six years in. And it's different for different people because everyone's running their own race. Uh, so the first couple of years I was sharing with other friends, so there'd be three, four of us on the same bill doing fifteen to twenty minutes each, and that way you're a sharing the burden, uh, sharing the publicity, the PR burden, yeah. um, and and also we we were in Norway, we were all still learning, we were still in the apprentice stage, and so we just up there learning, just learning how the whole the, the system works, yeah, um, the politics of the fringe, and and also learning how to play to those audiences because those audiences are comedy fans. Those are not drunk people who happen to come into a comedy down on Friday okay, night. They're, they're those connoisseurs. Are people, those are connoisseurs. So it's a different type of audience. Okay. And those are audiences that have seen three, four comedy shows a day. Um, oh yeah, because they're just there for the festival. They're so there for they're the festival, right? So by the time my first year, our show was at eleven thirty p.m. Wow. So by the time people are stumbling into our show, a bit drunk, this could be the sixth show of the day, and you try laughing for more than half an hour or something, it's gone. Does you have nothing left? It pay. <laughs> it hurt. If you well, you you were smiling on my wedding day. Yeah, I know the feeling. I, by the end of it, like my face was hurting. I couldn't. You, you I, know what I mean? Done. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. So, so it's that sort of thing. So, so you gotta learn all those different things. Yeah. Uh, and so you can't do that on your own. You, can, you need. You need can I ask you a random comedy question? Please do. There are sometimes I listen to comedy and mm-hmm. I'm not laughing out loud, but I'm like enjoying the experience because I like the presentation of the comedian. I like the narrative of what he's telling me. The storytelling might be good for me. That's enjoyable. For you standing on stage. If there's a crowd full of people that aren't like belly laughing, bruv, you're dying. Really, you're dying, bruv. Even if people walk out going, I, I really enjoy. Yeah, no, it. I've had it. I've had it, bruv. Especially, especially in Edinburgh. Yeah. Where you, you and and I was a long time. Yeah. Just yeah. logging for an hour, and those people just give you smiley faces, and sometimes not because people don't know their own resting face, right? People have a resting bitch face. Uh, <laughs> Which I is don't a, know. People, you know what that's like. Yeah, <laughs> people, people have that, right? And people don't know they're doing it because that's why it's a resting face. Me and Hassan sit opposite each other, so all we get from each other is just that. Yeah, exactly, so. <laughs> exactly. So, so, and and then people, and then those people, and those are the people you notice the most, the ones that aren't even smiling. Yeah, yeah. And then those people come to you at the end of the show and tell you how much they loved it, and you're like. Why when you well, not? I could have just done with a bit of laughter yeah. there because because that's our lubricant. That's what keeps us going. But you see, like I've been to live at the Apollo a few times. Um, I think John Bishop was was on one of them, and like, I find that people also it, it's a it's a very contrived environment mm. in where the audience are are there to laugh, and so often like you can just say anything, you can do a little giggle on stage, and everyone will, will like there'll be laughter to the back of the hall. I don't like that as well, so I try and come in, and it sounds weird, but I try and come in like very objectively. I'm like, okay. I'm here to I'm here to enjoy myself. I'm here to laugh, but at the same time, I'm not just gonna give you. Yeah, a yeah, laugh. but also make me laugh. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, it's not, like we need some in between the. As a, as a performer, you need some in between the two. I mean, like you talk about like I don't know, you got the football fans. Yeah. But you know when football fans create an atmosphere from yeah. from the first like Anfield when they played when Barcelona. they played Barcelona off. and just from the off they were yeah, 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 the, yeah. the fans were like, never on the twelfth man they were like the twenty thousandth man you know they were just <laughs> they were just they were just giving it and sometimes you need that audience just from the off. Because the better the audience is, hundred times better the performer will be. Mm. Because there are things the performer will do yeah. that they can't do if the audience aren't laughing. Yeah. Because big, I, I find it's tough no, it. because you see, like for example, with and, and now we're talking a bit more specific here. Like football. Mm. If I'm a Liverpool fan, mm. I'm in that stadium. Mm. I want my team to win. Mm. With all due respect, I've paid you to of make co- me laugh. Of course, but you've paid your, but you paid your money for your football team to entertain you as well. Yeah, but, but I'm I'm invested in. The I know, team. I know, I'm, but so I'll be honest though. At the same time, I'd be more likely to give you a laugh than I would John Bishop 
because you're one of the bros. There so you I'm go. Like, you know what? But there you go. You're more invested in me then. But it's like, well, yeah, I'm more invested in you. But I've been to see Michael McIntyre. I've been to see, you know, Ryan, I've, Chris Rock as well. Chris Rock, I paid a lot of money for. I'm not going to give him a pity laugh. Do you know what I mean? But sometimes I feel like, but, but if you go in like, I've made, I've paid a lot of money. I just want to have a great time. Yeah, but like I do that when I go to the IMAX cinema, I'm like, you know what? I don't care what this film is. I'm gonna enjoy myself because I've <laughs> no, so that. I so I paid that simple money. The IMAX, IMAX hurts me. The IMAX hurts me because I'm watching the same film. I think you know I could be in Harrow watching this film on a normal size screen. Nah, rah, man. I just like when I'm in the IMAX, I'm like, I can. I I think maybe I just kid <laughs> myself. I just, no, I just kid myself. Being like, it's a good, good film. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really good film. It's because I paid that premium and I'm like, nah, this film's good, guys. Oh god. Um, all right, so. Your show, mm-hmm. um, the Channel Four show. Yes, the ten o'clock show. In fact, no. Can we? Sorry, before. Okay, that, let's rewind. Can we do Man Like Mobin? Yeah. Because I think that mm. for me was a big moment, mm. very big moment. That mm. show, in terms of, and again, coming back to this underlying theme, I think in everything we've talked about, of just like your ability to to be real and authentic. Authentic. Yeah. And and Guz, you mentioned Guz earlier as well. Why I, why I really love and respect what you guys do is because you've managed to maintain that level of authenticity that sometimes gets lost. Um, and that's what was so... And, and I think, you know, Man Like Mobin, again, it, it transcended just like the working class Muslim up north family or, you know, lads dynamic. It was actually a, an enjoyable show, an enjoyable experience. And you, you guys were out doing that. Now, I was fascinated because I, I, in fact, I only... Because it came on Netflix just recently... So I watched, I binged the whole thing, and then we met at the Palestine Expo. And I was like, "This guy's a lot more articulate than he, than on the show." Like, I was impressed. I, I didn't know how you would actually speak, so it, it was impressive for me personally to see you like articulate. You know all those guys, Rowan Atkinson, all those guys. You know they all went to Oxford, didn't they? I know but, Sasha yeah, Baron Cohen, yeah. all those guys. Rowan Atkinson. It's I, we grew up with that, right? As kids, because yeah, Black Adam was before my time. So yeah, I knew Rowan Atkinson through Mr. B. Same. And then discovered the other things. Same, same. So this is the thing. So the first time I heard Rowan Atkinson, I was like, "Wow." Have you ever had that response where people are like, oh, you are more articulate than your <laughs> Yeah, character. yeah, no, I get it. I was like, bro, and do you know what? Some people who watch TV are dominate. <laughs> like, like I remember some, so my, my cousin gave me some feedback and he goes to me, um, he goes, someone came up to some, my, my cousin, my mom, you know, one of my best friends who I grew up with, as, as, you know, cousins are in our community. And he goes, someone came up to him and goes, I watched your cousin's show and um, like, I don't want to, sound offensive or anything is but right is, he, is he a bit slow no and my cousin's like, <laughs> cousin's like wow. this guy's he's acting in it it's not a documentary <laughs> some people are some people are some people are dumb oh wow have you and had, that's, have and you had that's who, and that's who eight is yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight is those people that we, we've all seen in the community. Obviously, it's slightly heightened but eight, no, he's those eight people is that eight is that your, guy yeah, yeah who, who said who asked my cousin is this guy slow because we have those people in our community, man. No, but it, it was it was relatable in that. I don't know if it's like a northern phenomenon, but like that character eight and and even that whole dynamic is very much Birmingham Bruv, and upwards. Bruv, yes, you don't get that in London. Yes, no one sits on a sofa outside their front yard in London. Mm. But I've seen it in Birmingham. I've, I've seen it firsthand. I know these kind of roadmen, um, and it's, it's a strange it's a strange phenomenon. And I guess we can get political. We can talk about how like in Birmingham there's so much um, unemployment and poverty specifically within the Muslim communities and we can start, you know, getting into the whole Illuminati conspiracy. I, I, I didn't say it. Uh, okay, but... but it's not <laughs> I've got to go and film that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very real um, issue, I think, in terms of, like, there, there, is, there is a problem and there was that documentary, I think, on Channel 4 called Extremely British Muslims. Uh, yeah, I don't think back. I watched it, but... 
I know of it. But they, but they looked specifically at that community and they right. looked at like the issues of crime and whatever else. And it was quite a balanced and fair representation. Okay. My issue with it was that it was kind of directed by a mainstream guy, or we can say white. Um, and it was like... Well, a person from, who's not from that community. A person yeah, not from yeah, our community. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and my issue is always that we should be the ones creating this kind of content. Like it shouldn't need for a non-Muslim person to come in and be like, oh, you know what? I feel sorry for... for Muslims in Birmingham. Let's actually explore the community in a fair way, not talk about. Yeah, it's di- it's difficult, isn't it? Because because I know people who try to do that thing, and then the community is like, "What a sellout! Why is he? Why is he giving? Why is he giving a bad name to our community?" So it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult balancing act that one. Because I know Mobin Azhar has currently got a documentary out on BBC Three, I think, about his hometown. It's, I think I think it's called Hometown, uh, and he goes back to Huddersfield. And he's exploring the gang crime uh, culture in Huddersfield, um, and that's been criticised a lot by the local community in Huddersfield because they're like, "Yeah, we got problems, but why are you telling the rest of the world about it? Let, let you know, help us. If you want to help, why don't you help us sort it out?" Yeah. So, so it's, 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 a, it's a it's a it's a tricky one. Yeah, it's a tricky one because I think you know Muslims do take that whole hide the sins of your brother very very seriously, but that yeah, doesn't yeah. make for a good documentary. But but the difficulty is, I always feel like if. If we're not going to do it, someone else is going to do yeah, it, and, and they're then, not going to have our yeah, best course, interests at heart. Of course, of course, and that's that's the difficulty, right? So that's the difficulty because because people will and maybe should explore these issues, but it's, it's how how to best do them because yeah, you're not gonna if you, whoever you're talking about, they're not going to be very happy, are they? Do you, do you never get that in your comedy where you might get people from the community brothers criticizing the way that you speak of? You know, very early on I did Very I'm talking very Very early on Like my first few months But I think they just didn't get What I was doing I think because Because there were certain things I was saying But the intention Was always heightened irony And because I'm quite deadpan yeah. What I was saying They were taking at face value So I was like You know there's a whole subtext here And so And obviously On social media People don't want to have a discussion They just want to tell you And so you take the message Like private messaging And you're like Bro let me just talk to you For a second This 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 And they're like in a, and in a way that they might not back down in a public space. Oh, yeah. In a private space, they might be like, oh, okay, right, let me just watch this again and be like, oh, I better cool. Okay, I can see what you're doing there. I'll find fair enough, my bad. But I feel like that's also the standard uh, behind the screens phenomenon that like online is such a toxic place from that perspective. And everyone's got bravado in it. No one, no, everyone wants to be a big man in it. No one, yeah, wants, yeah, no, one yeah. to, well, no one wants to say, ah, oh, it might have been a mistake there. Yeah. But, if, but but the, the amazing thing is that If you were to meet someone face to face After having a discussion online with them The tone would be completely different Oh if you go for milkshakes or whatever innit you know, not, it, And not to throw over each other Just to drink <laughs> uh, it'd be, Yeah it'd be mad um, So Man Like My Beans coming back for a third season Yes Yeah 100% Filmed No No. We're filming it later in the year And it'll be out I guess early in Are the you new involved year. in the writing of that Or is that all No so we get involved When, when the episodes are written yeah. We go into the rehearsal space and at that point, lines might be added yeah, because yeah. we because we're not trained actors. We don't learn lines, so we just we just we just interpret the lines as we think the character would be saying them. Oh really? And then in that, well, are the lines written like eight is saying we it? We are or? now. Obviously, yeah. the first season we didn't really. Obviously, the crack the character. Then once you've seen the character on screen, you're like, yeah. okay, now I know who that is. So yeah, when you're writing yeah, for yeah. them, it's a bit easier. Okay, fine. Um, but yeah, but always, you know, because cause I come from a comedy background and I love improvising and stuff, there will always be um, things that I want to, uh, sprinkles that I want to put on top of it. And with eight, it's so easy as well because it's so dumb. As long as you're saying something that's slightly off-kilter to the conversation that's happening, it works. It's live, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Fair enough. Um, all right, now, Channel 4. Yes. 
that's an exciting one. Brav, mad, surreal, like so it, crazy. It's, even trust me, like from our perspective, like when Goodness Gracious Me was on TV, that was like that's I felt crazy. I had achieved something. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm I'm as invested in in your show in that like we've done this, so I'm taking credit. It's crazy. Good. Hussam's, Good. Hussam's Good. not <laughs> Hussam's not from a South Asian background, but he's also taking credit. Good. But like, how how did that come to be? Um, and also, what is it? Because I don't think you've fully fleshed. Oh it yeah, out. fair enough, fair enough. Fair enough. So, so, so the show is called the Tez O'Clock Show. Uh, it's occupying that legendary eleven PM slot on Channel Four. Oh yes, walking walking in the footsteps of giants like the eleven o'clock show, Ali G show, all that stuff, man. So it's a bit, it's, it's a lot of pressure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a satirical, fast-paced comedy show with a mixture of pre-recorded sketches. Um, and a mixture of provocative monologues. I'm hoping they're provocative anyway. Um, and you know, I'll be writing them as, as week to week because obviously we're talking about it'll be topical. Uh, discussions. Um, so there's something that I want to, so something that I've been inspired by from the Home Office. So in the Home Office, as a civil servant, part of your job is briefing the Minister, the Secretary of State, about the things they want to know about and you give them the whole, all sides of the story uh, so that they can make a decision about something. Um, so I've taken that. Uh, so I've been inspired by that to create my own briefing room. Uh, and I've got two comics, Adam Rowe and Sophie Rillard, two very, very funny northern working class comics, one mank, one scouse. Nice. Um, we're not going to be shy, we're not going to shy away from from going toe to toe with each other. Uh, and I give them, I, I set them topics to go away and research, and they present it back in a very funny way. Uh, but t- taking opposing views, uh, like say for example, the issue was should you milkshake people who you don't agree with? Yeah. So one would say yes, that's fine. They would say no, it's not, and they're trying to convince me in the funniest way they can. Right. And then at the end of it, I make a decision for nice. the country to say this is wow. the this is the definitive. Brown man's making a decision. Yeah, this this is the definitive <laughs> um, viewpoint on this issue. This is big. Um, it's crazy. And then we go to a shisha cafe. Oh yeah, on the set, bro. On set, shisha cafe. On set. On set. You get like health and safety clearance for that kind of stuff. It's, a, it's, a, it's an electric one. I know. I know. We we walk. We walk. Sold out. Sold out, bro. Nah, nah, nah. We walk before we. Let me walk before you run in it. Let let brother walk in it. Let a brother walk before he runs in it. Bro, for some has spoken. You need you need the cold guy. Nah, bro. Let me, bro. Otherwise, otherwise, all the budget will go on a Turkish guy in it. So let me let me let me let me walk before I can run in it. So so over there, I love Sinduvi. Uh, with me every single week she's a hilarious hilarious uh indian comic uh or a comic who's from who's from india and she, she's brilliant man um and, and she'll be with me every week interviewing uh guests and she'll be offer she'll be able to offer a different perspective to mine because you know i'm left-leaning socialist muslim working class all that stuff whereas sindhu is an ex-banker um lives in st john's wood hindu indian all of that stuff so, so she'll be able to provide a bit of balance to my um well-meaning but ill-researched opinions <laughs> um, uh, actually, I mean, just, I mean, just get on really, really well as well in 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 the way that you know people from our community do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so I'm really looking forward to that. And then there'll be yeah, there'll be bits of me doing stand up where I kind of uh, take 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 on a subject and uh, try and do it justice. Um, and then there'll be a couple of games as well. So yeah, man, it's a very it's a very very fast paced exciting show. So the way I'm describing it is kind of like um, remember Art Attack. Yes. yes just that just stuff crashing in man all the time are you going to do at the end you're going to have like one of these large collages that yeah man just saying fuck you Boris sorry <laughs> you, might just, you might just beat that up we'll, we'll, have, we'll, we'll have a look at that we'll yeah okay get it past screw our, you Boris <laughs> get it past our legal team yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> how how does one uh, I sound really you've got me politics thinking but how, how does someone hmm. get to a position of getting a live show on on a on, on a Thursday night on Channel 4 and not just someone I think a Muslim, yeah, 
a Muslim who has a Palestine flag on his phone. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, right, you're gonna get my show cancelled, isn't it? <laughs> um, we can edit that bit out. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I was right place, right time. That's that's definitely part of it. Hard work, insane amount of talent. But I, I think part of it is so. My, the, the woman who commissioned me is called Saida Artazali. Uh, and so maybe it helps when you have brown people in the commissioning process. Yeah, she yeah. commissioned more Gilligan's show. She Second commissioned. She commissioned well, may probably, but she commissioned <laughs> my show. She commissioned more Gilligan's show. She commissioned the Big Nasty show. So you know when they say like people commission in their own image. Well, but at the same time, at that, the same helps. time, she 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 will have her big bosses. And, no, of course, she's not commissioning and, really nilly, but yeah, she, yeah, she's yeah. putting her neck on the line yeah, for yeah, these yeah. things. And um, but and but, how but do you she, convince someone like that? Well, believe but they you. came to me, so they, they've you know I've been out there doing my thing, uh, saying things authentically in my own voice. Uh, people people enjoy that, and they came to me for, the, for a meeting and they said, "Look, we want to break new talent for our channel. Uh, we want to diversify the types of talent that we have. We think you are one of those people that we could invest in." Um, they paired me up with a production company and said, "Come away, go away, come up with a proposal." So I had tons of ideas, expectation, entertainment. The production company, um, they had a lot of ideas. So we meshed them together. We went back to Channel Four, and they were like, "This is sick. Why don't you go away and make a pilot, and not for TV in-house pilot?" And I said, "Yeah, that sounds good. That's the that's the process. That's what you're supposed to do." Uh, but what happened is a few months later, Saida was like, "You know what? Forget the pilot. Here's three episodes to go make a series." Wow. Crazy. And I was like, "Rah, that's not supposed to happen." <laughs> that's not supposed to work like that. No, it's supposed to be a lot. Sl- it's supposed to be a lot slower. But f- yeah, man, people are showing faith in you, and you just you just hope that you can we pay it back with with something that's that's good or that people like. So so creating creating a series like that. Um, do you go in with the mindset of how do I make a comedy show as a Muslim, or do you think how do I make straight comedy? No, the the the, the Muslim thing. I think in terms of comedy, the Muslim thing for me has always been. It's, inf- it's informed in that that is who I am. Yeah. So it's always there in the same way that I'm five foot eight in it. So it's, it's, just, it's just there in it. But do you feel a pressure to represent? Like we, you've got to rep the brothers or is, do you just think you know this, what, this will come I, 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 to- I, I never feel pressure to talk about certain things. I, there are things that I want to talk about and I will talk about them. Um, but I never feel like I have to talk about something. Um, Within my stand-up, because I, cause I know that I was doing stand-up on the mainstream circuit way before my own community started noticing what I was doing. So that's not going to change what I do and how I do it. But those things just happen to be there. It's a nice coincidence that those are the things that I happen to want to talk about. And those are things that the Muslim community may want me to talk about as well. So that's a nice coincidence. But I will never do it because the Muslim community wants me to talk about it. Yeah. Like in the same way, you know, I'm never going to... There are certain... There are certain um, there are certain world leaders that I won't name that Muslim community really loves that I'm like, I think that love is misplaced a little bit, if I'm honest, because this community is just love a strong man, isn't it? So I will, I'm never going to go out there and, and, and gas a guy just because 100%. I know the brothers will really enjoy it if I do that. 100%. Because I'm not comfortable doing it. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was one of your first series is <laughs> the test talks. That was your, was it? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That you that you've done. Um, going from the stand up circuit to producing, you know, like a, a series. Yeah. Um, that was for the for, for BBC Radio Four. For BBC Radio Four. Um, how as a as a professional comedian, how how does one um, kind of how do you transition into that and how, how um, and what was the success of that? Because I'm sure that was that was a big stepping stone. Yeah. So again, they came to me. So 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 Test Talks was the name of my very first. 
uh, one-man show uh, that I took to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2015. And the conceit of that show was, um, so the audience would come in, and again, Edinburgh Fringe Festival, mainstream audience. So they'd come in, and then within five minutes, the conceit is that they've come on this conversion to Islam course, uh, mm. that they've, they've, they've gone through a conversion to Islam course, and, and my show was their final module before they go out and convert. Uh, and, and that module was on integration. So they've already been through the learning, they've learned about the Quran and the Sunnah and all that, and now they've done all that stuff, and now they're here to learn about how to integrate into British society as a Muslim, and then they can go out there and, and live their life as a Muslim. So the reason I did that was because there were things I wanted to talk about, but I thought if I came from the perspective of me, 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 you, 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 it's going to alienate my audience. And very quickly, they show the things I want to say are going to end up being a bit counterproductive and people are not going to listen and they won't necessarily laugh because they feel like they're going to be lectured to. But by that conceit, what I could do is we, us. So Very as a Muslim, that. what we go through is yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, A, they listen, and B, those things became funny. The more I doubled down on it, the, the um, so there's a bit I talk about Christmas, and I'm like, um, um, you know, you know Christmas, like the, the way you used to celebrate it. Like, and I say you used to celebrate it, just made them laugh because, because I wasn't dropping the conceit. And I just doubling down, every step of the way, I was doubling down on it. Um, and that just stuff like that made them laugh. And then, and then I was able to do the things in the show that I wanted to do and say the things in the show that I wanted to say. And I, was able to, and I maintained the comedy throughout it, but then I could drop those little bits of messaging in without losing the audience because suddenly it became we. A big, we're on this journey together. And, 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 and then you became the people out there. Mm. Um, and Radio, Radio 4 really loved, really, really loved that. The, 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 the head of BBC Radio 4 comedy was like, this is, this is incredible, please come and work with us. Crazy. And BBC Radio 4, for those of you who don't listen to it, because I never listened to it, before I got into this industry, is the home of uh, British audio comedy. So they've had long-running series from Hugh Dennis called The Now Show. Um, then there's the News Quiz, which inspired Mock the Week. And they've got tons of tons of other original radio programming that goes out every single year. And so they offered me a series and I was like, this is incredible. It's never really been an ambition of mine because it's not really a station that I listen to, but yeah. very, very quickly I learned how prestigious this offer was. Uh, so it was, it, was, it was very short. It was, it was a four times 15 minute series, so an hour but split into four episodes. And that was a massive learning curve because I'm used to working on my own and creating my own hours and doing the things that I want to see. I suddenly I've got a radio producer and he's an expert in radio, so he knows what he's doing. But I'm like, yeah, but I, I, you come to me in it. So let me just do the show. And then I quickly learn to humble myself and take, fee and take feedback because these are the experts. They're the reason why these people are in their jobs. Um, so that was, that was really, really interesting. Like just, just learning from people how to take feedback and, yeah. and, and learning how to be patient and, and realizing that people have their jobs for a reason. Um, and, that, and, and the show, was really, I mean, the shows were a hit. I got about three series of it now and the third series was twice as big. So I was did two hours. So it was four times eight episodes. So we've got 16 episodes. On BBC Radio 4. Yeah, so 16 episodes. That's nearly four hours of stand-up that I've done on BBC Radio 4 and those are now podcasts. So actually, after listening to this podcast, uh, if you we'll search, yeah, if you search test talks yeah. wherever you get your podcasts from, it'll come up, and there's 16 episodes of it, and there's really, really short, snappy, 15 minute stand-up bits, and people really enjoy it, man. The the stuff that you talk about, everything I've seen has been, I guess, in some way, Islam, Islamophobia related ish. Mm, mm. Um, what is the what's the response been like? I know obviously it's gone well because you're here and you're you're quite Channel Four show, but have there been any kind of incidents that you've had over the years that have been standout, either positive or negative, in terms of feedback that you've got? 
I know you've spoken about being heckled in the past and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. There's, there's actual all, conversations. Yeah, there's always stuff like, not, never like formal conversations, but there's always stuff like people, and even actually Muslims will say as well, they're like, oh, why do you always talk about this stuff? I'm like, A, I don't. You haven't seen everything I've done. Yeah. That's what I say to people. You haven't seen everything that I've done. You've seen the things that you, you've seen. That isn't, that isn't all my work. Uh, but B, in comedy, there's a rule, which is talk about what you know. Um, and the thing that I know that is unique to me on the British comedy circuit is the fact that I'm a northern working class Asian British Muslim. And so I need to talk about those things because that's what will stand me out from Michael McIntyre and James Acaster and mm. uh, even Nish Kumar, who, who, who has some experiences that are the same as mine, but a lot of different experiences that are not. Um, and so, and I always say, you know, you talk about what you want to talk about and if it's funny, people will laugh. If it's not funny, then they won't. It's him, you know, women get criticized for talking about things that, oh, why do you always talk about woman stuff? But it's like, no, they're just talking about what they know in it. And there's a, there was, a, it's changing a little bit now, but there's a real lack of female voices on the comedy circuit. So obviously then if a woman's breaking on the circuit, she's going to talk about things that are unique to her that have not been talked about in the comedy circuit before. But there are other things she talks about, but people just focus on the, on those things. Like Michael McIntyre, every routine of his, the subtext is that he's a middle-class white it's guy. very middle-class. Yeah. And he's yeah, got yeah. a mundane life. And these mundane things make him angry. Yeah, yeah. But he's not saying overtly, hey, as a middle class white guy, but that is all in the subtext. You know, no so, one's going, oh, McIntyre, why, why are you talking about some? why are you talking about something that's relevant in the news? But because that's not his role. Almost like on, on, on the Muslim Vibe podcast, almost like an underlying theme across the, the couple of years that we've been doing this is diversity and inclusion and representation, mm. things like this. And I think it's very apparent in the comedy space. Well, as you say, like we had a podcast a couple of weeks ago um, where the guys uh, worked in Hollywood visual effects and went on to comic books as well. Who's and, that? Um, his name is Farhan Qureshi. Oh, wow. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll send you all this stuff afterwards. But what was interesting is he was talking about how the people that write, the people behind the screens that write all of this material, they write from experience. Mm. So if no one is writing for our experience then it's we're not going to have representation of course so that's why again coming back to the fact that people like yourselves getting into the mainstream being able to kind of represent and and staying true to your roots and and still you know maintaining that like as you say working class northern asian muslim background and, and that's what kind of permeates throughout i think that's what's powerful about it thank you but you have to man like and also because because we're kind of like the first generation of Muslim standard comedians breaking out into the mainstream, mm. then obviously we're going to talk about that as much as possible because we know it wasn't talked about before. I mean, hoping that the space we create will allow the next generation of Muslim standard comedians to come and maybe they don't want to talk about their Muslim experiences and they don't want to talk, they want to talk about how their toaster burns their toast and that's absolutely fine. That's up to them in it, but that's but, not what I do. That's not my strength. But it's also about context, right? The, the British Muslim community, I guess, previous generations were basically immigrating to this country mm. they were coming here for them it was about survival no one no one was there like, oh i'm gonna come to the uk and i'm gonna be a stand-up comedian they were like no i need to survive we're laborers we're, we're business small business owners whatever needs to be done all that sort of stuff in it we work in the service industry and all that stuff and and now now we exist in that time where like okay we found our feet as a community now we can start branching out so hassan for example is a photographer you're a comedian. I'm, I run the Muslim vibe. Like we're all able to do things that our parents wouldn't even dream of doing. Of course. When they came to this country, and I, I feel like, as you say, that the next, the next crop, the next generation are not going to be immigrants. They're going to be second, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. I missed out third, but there'll be that kind of generation of, of immigrant where it's like their heritage is elsewhere, but 
they're British. They're very, very British. I was born here. I don't know about mm. the two of you, but I was born mm. here. I'm British, mm. but like still my parents are from East Africa. Mm. Whereas my kids are going to be born here. They're going to be British mm. and, and less... To British-born parents. To, yeah, to British-born parents. And, and uh, times are changing. And I think what's interesting is that you guys are trailblazing in your own way, but also it's a very contextual bit of, of comedy. Of and, course. And it's very contextual what you're doing. Of course. And, and people will look back in years and be like, okay, that it might not even make sense in a few years. In 10, 15, 20 years, people will look at that and think it's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The context I mean, of what we're yeah. saying and how we're saying it. The birth of the alternative comedy circuit, which is what I'm a product of now, 30 years later, was people like Ben, ben Elton, Rowan Atkinson, all these guys uh, taking stand-up away from those working class men's clubs that were very kind of like, oh, mother-in-law this and your black neighbor this. and uh, But... I but but well. uh, but you know, and then they took that away, and they were talking about politics and all sorts. And yeah, you could probably watch ten of those clips and be like, "Oh, why is this guy going on about politics?" God, but but they had to do that because they were the first guys occupying that space. So yes, they were like yes, the yes. anti-establishment comics talking about the establishment. And then very quickly later, then Jack D came talking about being miserable and all that stuff. And Billy Connolly was part of that movement, but always talked about other things. And Eddie Izzard came with his brand of weirdness in the best possible sense and then you know Stuart Lee came and did his kind of just things that only Stuart Lee can do and Jimmy Carr came with his and then and then Victoria Ward and Sarah Millican and all these people but but there was initial comics were very much anti-establishment talking about the establishment and almost almost every every single one of them was yeah. uh, with the odd exception like 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 Bottom um, and, and, and shows like that Adrian Edmondson and, and those guys but but more majority of them were just on stage rallying against the establishment and the government and stuff and like yeah you could watch 10 of those gigs and be like god these guys just talk about the same thing but you needed that for then the next generation to be free to talk about what they wanted to talk about for 100%. sure the last thing i wanted to ask you um bit of a cheesy one go on what advice would you give uh, two two questions if you'll mm. permit me yeah what advice would I mean, you three give? Sunnah, but go on i, I got one for you okay, i got one. Yeah, yeah, the three questions so my first question is what advice would you give yourself at the beginning of this journey Oh God. Second one is what advice would you give uh, someone who wants to get into a similar space to you? I don't mean specifically comedy because I know the comedy advice is write some material, go to a go go on you know go to one of these stand up nights and try and whatever. Yeah, 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 but yeah. generally speaking, people that want to get into the media that want to be able to make a difference through art and maybe just the arts. In yeah, general. yeah, yeah, arts in general. Yeah. The third question for the sunnah from Hassan. Yeah, uh, word to the future. What um, I think, obviously, success in the UK. I want to see you on the global stage you is know, it? going oh, to America because right, I think right, right, I think right. I see the American comedians doing their thing especially the new the new crop of Muslim comedians Chat to brother but, Trevor yeah <laughs> but I think it's only a matter of time before we see you on a global stage and I think that's when inshallah and I think that's where you really you know can do some stuff for us you know Dam- what I mean da- damage he wouldn't say damage but he said but he realised that might not be the right word <laughs> we need to get this out the, the... <laughs> like I is damage the word you're looking I for I can't even I can't even sorry I apologise but yeah go on I yeah. mean that's, that's those are okay, three questions question. so question one was what advice would I give myself at the beginning of this I guess journey. now nine years ago at the beginning of the journey honestly patience because at that time I, I knew nothing about the circuit so I, I knew nothing I, I was coming in very very 
fresh faced and uh, and with no friends in the circuit, no 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 family in the circuit, no even second hand, third hand, and, and you know, I literally knew no one. And I thought I was gonna conquer the world within three years and and be on with the Apollo and all that stuff. So did you have a bit of that like? Hood mentality on Of course like, I'm, I'm gonna do yeah, this Yeah 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 I'll yeah yeah. Because, because otherwise I'm like what's the point I'm not Like if I, if I don't do these things In three years Then it's, I'm missing my time But I quickly learned Like anything Things take time And actually to be good at something You need to put the hours in uh, So I would say patience Patience is I, I mean not, not just in comedy Probably advice for everyone Isn't it Yeah uh, Be patient And good and things come to those Who wait And who work hard And who want it In um, some of advice to people Who want a career In the arts Not specifically comedy um, Create so we are living in an era where it is the golden age for creatives because we have these multimedia machines. Everyone has one in their pockets. Uh, so, so create and share, share your work and create and, yeah, create and share your work. Uh, in terms of being a stand-up, honestly, there's, there's, all you can do is write and, and find a stage near you. If, 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 if Google comedy workshops in your area because that's a good way of getting started because it, it just teaches you the mechanics of writing and um, and also you're with other people as well and so you, you quickly got a small group of friends that are starting in the same position and that can be quite that's a bit of a safety net rather than just going it alone sometimes it can be a bit intimidating but yeah. but yeah find the open mic circuits in your area go go to them initially I think go watch some and then pluck up the courage to go up there and, tr and try a bit I think initially what you need to do is write five minutes of material which is roughly 500 words uh, of stand-up material and um and then just try it and if you enjoy it keep doing it and if you don't then those are the things you can do and in terms of the future brother we've got to conquer our own country first isn't it like the oh, things yes. i the things i want to do like you're sticking in line with this whole doing yeah yeah yeah, taking yeah over. Conquer, man. um <laughs> you know that I, I, I want you know if, if this was if we did the 10 o'clock show and we never get a second series then in a failure might be too strong a word, but I feel like I haven't really reached my objective with what I want to do. Um, man like Mubeen hopefully will, um, I don't know what's gonna happen to you in the future, but hopefully that'll be a show that people enjoy in years, years, years to come. Uh, I've got my own sitcom pilot that I made with, with, with Channel 4 called Bounty. People really, really enjoyed that. Uh, and so we're pushing to get a full series for that from Channel 4 as well. And then any other TV type works that might come in the future that I, I'm not aware of right now. And, but yeah, inshallah. Uh, America hopefully isn't going anywhere and maybe hopefully in 18 months we'll have a, a kinder president Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren maybe um, and maybe going there will feel less intimidating than it seems to be at the moment or wow. even but do you not think this is the perfect time if I get in bruv <laughs> yeah. there's that as well you know I had the problems I, I don't, don't want to be that guy who pays 800 pounds and gets turned away at GFK in it bruv I've, I've got I'd a 10 year visa be, right now be, I don't I'd know be, how I blagged it I'll be screwing man I've got I've got a ten year visa, so I'm I'm happy Is to be American for the next ten years. But we don't look too dissimilar to each other. I could just go on your. Visa, I can give you my passport, bro. Let's do it. Yeah, we might both get banned though. <laughs> at least you, at least at least you won't be in prison though. I'll have a new story out of it. You'll be in prison. Yeah, exactly. I can write on your behalf. Exactly, as well, exactly. And when, when I, I come out, you... when I come out in twenty years, I'll have a hell of a show. <laughs> You'll have a lot of long, writing. Long, you can do a long, lot of writing. Long, long, long term game, man. <laughs> But listen, I, I wanted to thank you, um, Rob, thank you for, for coming down me. and doing this. I know you've had a long day. I know you're you're busy with the show and everything else. And I appreciate you making the effort and coming down to our office as well to film this. We could have done it over the phone, but it wouldn't have been as fun. It's not the same, man. It's, it's, not the it's same. just not the same. Not the so same. I, I, I genuinely appreciate the effort that you made. Um, and, and don't be a stranger. Of course, man. We're here. Thank you so much. Um, and keep up the good work, man. We're rooting for you. Jazakallah, man. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. 
So that was Tez Ilyas. Hassan, uh, first thoughts? Um, lived up to the expectation, man. I think some really, really, really good insights. Aren't you happy you came back from Hollywood? <laughs> I am. I am. Glad I made it. Glad I changed my ticket. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just for, I think just so people listening understand what happened here. I didn't know Hassan was back in town. <laughs> and I got, uh, I, I was, we had set up the interview with Tez like on the day um, because he was busy, you know, doing promos and stuff and, and it wasn't going to happen. And then Tez was actually very nice enough to, to say that he was going to come down and do it on like a Friday at, uh four o'clock yep um and it was my first day back in the office after and a, it was his first day back in the office and Hasib told him that oh yeah so Salim's interviewing Tez and Alpha was a joke I was like wait Tez Ilyas next thing I know I get a whatsapp from Hassan <laughs> going no invite lol <laughs> next thing you know I had to be nice enough to bring Hassan back on but no I mean reflecting on 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 Tez and, and the conversation that we had with him yes um uh, yeah, everything everything stood out to me in terms of 100%. like his approach to how he goes about doing things, and, and I guess you know his his realness. Hundred percent. I, I think some something that no matter what field you're in, yeah, creative, non-creative, um, you know, in the mainstream or for the Muslim community, I think um, the way that he's gone about it is uh, amazing and something to to to. And I think for anyone that kind of wants a glimpse into what he's about, at least as I see it, it is a bit old and we did mention it, we spoke about it in the podcast, but the the TED talk that he gave, I think exactly. about 18 months ago. Yes. It's like an 18 minute long video, but it's it's such a, I guess, good illustration of, of what Tez is about, or at least what he was about at the time. And just generally um, the agenda that kind of drives the work that he does. Yep. He's not afraid to talk about Islamophobia. He's not afraid to talk about the media and things like this. And he's all, and he's also made it very uh, digestible for, for a mainstream audience. Yes, and, and that's the difficulty. That's sometimes difficulty. we find ourselves in echo chambers. Exactly. Where you're only kind of chatting to... You're preaching to the converted. You're preaching for to sure. the choir. For sure. Um, but, you know, even with... And I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm interested to see the show when it comes out tomorrow. But even with Man Like Mobeen... Um, that representation yes and the way that they did it was just real yes exactly um i think yeah authenticity and realness are the two things that really stood out to me in this yep. whole thing and, and the kind of underlying themes and, and i know to him i think i think he's first and foremost a very good comedian and oh yeah very very good comedian uh regardless of of, of the subject matter I think that's that's something to know as well. That you do like to think you're funnier at times. <laughs> I think Salim, you're the guy. I'm, 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 just, I'm just the interviewer on the podcast. Uh, I brought you in because you're like I yeah, will he's, bring. He's writing down puns. I will bring comedic wit to this podcast. <laughs> you need me. Um, but no, uh, for those of you listening at home, thank you very much. Um, be sure to subscribe if this is the first podcast of ours that you listen to. We have great guests on every week. Uh, very, very diverse range. Um, Hussam is with us occasionally when he feels like being in the country. Let Salim know if you want me back. And yeah, please do. Let, uh, in, in fact, if one person emails saying, get rid of Hussam, I, will, <laughs> I won't get rid of Hussam. <laughs> but I will use that as ammo to say that people wow. do not like Hussam and that will fill me with joy and pride. Uh, once again, thank you very much. And yes, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for TMB Podcasts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.